Hey guys, it's Rebecca. I just wanted to let you know, in case you didn't, that we recently launched my first fragrance. I'm so proud of it. I think the smell is amazing. I created it for you, for me, and uh, it doesn't actually involve any compromises. It's vegan, sulfate and phthalate free, cruelty free. My goal was to create something that marked all your milestone moments, but that didn't compromise your and others' health. And it's environmentally friendly with sustainable packaging. So head over to my website, RebeccaMinkoff.com, and check out my first fragrance. Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwoman. Today, I talk to the multi-talented, multi-faceted Allie Love. She is not only a dancer and on-air host an incredible inspirational trainer with Peloton. She also has an amazing company called The Love Squad, aptly named, where she is getting together women to have community, to have resources, and to really foster support with one another. So take a listen and hear about her journey. Hi. (laughs) It's crazy to connect under these circumstances. I normally love to do my podcasts in person, but... We got to do what we got to do. I feel you. So I would love for you to share for those of, you know, the listeners who are not familiar with you, like who you are, what you do, et cetera. And then we'll get into your, your journey to where you are now. Of course. Well, I do want to start off by saying, Rebecca, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of your podcast. Um, I've been a fan for a while and so has my team. So we're really just thrilled to be here. So thank you for uh, inviting me to have a seat at this table. I'm a super fan. So (laughs) you're getting me from quarantine. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. But for those who are listening that may not know me, um, just an introduction or a reintroduction for some who do. My name is Allie Love. Um, I am the host of the Brooklynettes. I'm a Peloton instructor and I am the CEO and founder of Love Squad, which is a women empowerment group where we bring women together at a low to no cost to exchange information through panel discussions or one-on-one conversations, always holding and creating space to talk about the well-being of women as well as their career and brand building. Um, I am born and raised in Miami, Florida, so I represent 305, and I currently live in New York City. I am a plant mom, so I have a ton of plants, (laughs) but I have a green thumb necessarily, but I keep them alive as much as possible. Um, And then in terms of what I believe I believe that conversation is a catalyst for change. And so having conversations as we are about to engage uh, is really pivotal and important in terms of how we look at ourselves, how we build confidence, how we consume content, how we exchange information and stories. And ultimately, it's a catalyst for how we can change the world. So I'm, again, thrilled to be here, excited to just have real good conversation with you as my friend and to hopefully um, hear from those that are listening and those that are fans of yours, Rebecca, for what you've been building with women empowerment and women in business to keep the conversation going. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, I had this crazy, I thought I was like, Oh my God, women have been trying to be equal for, you know, really making a concerted effort, I'd say for the last hundred years, <laughs> right. With like the right to vote. And I'm like, oh my God, we're still not there. How much louder do we have to get, right? Yeah. So I would love to start with your journey, like how you started out, what inspired you to start on your path, and then any sort of notable 
oh fuck moments along the way that sort of hardened you in a good way, you know, got you ready for what life is, which is a series of great things and a series of, you know, obstacles and barriers. Absolutely. For me, I would say my story really begins when I was nine years old. I recently just started sharing this story uh, since we've been in a pandemic and I've done a lot of uh, soul searching and created a lot more depth in my self-awareness. And so what has come up for me is that this story at nine years old was a pivotal moment for me and has influenced who I am uh, throughout my life. And so in Miami at nine years old, I was hit by a car and I almost died. I was in the hospital for seven days with a broken femur, broken teeth, and like skin basically removed from my body. A little graphic, I know, but painting you a picture of exactly what happened. And so it was a moment where the doctor had told my mom I had been in the hospital for quite a while, that it wasn't looking too good, that I lost too much blood. And at nine years old, it wasn't customary for um, young kids to break their hips. Usually older people break their hips. So I had to wait with uh, a weight at the end of my foot, kind of separating my bone, wait for a plate to be made in China and shipped uh, to the U.S., five days. Yes. So I, I laid there with a broken femur, which is the biggest bone in your body. And it was then that the doctor, after maybe like four or five days of me being there, that the doctor had a conversation with my mom and dad and my mom came to me. And what I'm about to share is something that I don't think that I'd have the courage to tell, you know, God willing, I'd have kids one day, but that I could tell any child. Um, but what my mom did was really trust me enough with the responsibility to make a decision about myself. She told me, you know, that it wasn't looking so good and that I had to make a decision. And either I wanted to choose to live or I chose or I could choose to die. And whichever decision I wanted to take at nine years old, she would support it. Now, she said, if you're, choo- you're going to choose life, you have to be willing to fight for your life. I cannot switch places with you. I would love to do that but I can't. And if you choose death, your dad and I, you know, if this is too much for you, your dad and I will support that. And now listening to that, it may shock some of you. Many of you have kids and I know Rebecca, you have kids. It's like thinking of yourself in that position could potentially just scare you to, you wouldn't say any words. But what my mother did that day was something that changed my, the course of my life. She ultimately, again, had a conversation with me and she put the onus on me to make a decision about me. And so I chose to fight for my life and I have not stopped doing so Um, in that that put me in a position where the doctor, you know, after I had the surgery and and I got to go home, the doctor did tell my mom, manage your expectations around her athleticism. She probably will never become a runner. She'll have a hard time walking. She'll have arthritis. So just manage your expectations. And it was a year later that my mom put me in a dance class. And from that year up until this point, I have been using my body for my career. I became a dancer. Every summer, I would come to New York and do scholarships in New York. And I eventually moved here. I started dancing at Alvin Ailey, went to school at Fordham. And it was from there that it led me into becoming a model. I became, while in college, a model for Wilhelmina, started to build my adult life. And that led me into hosting because I wanted to have a voice. I knew I was using my body for good. And I was basically connecting verbally and non-verbally through dance. But there was another point where I love socializing and I love listening to people and having conversations. And so I took some hosting classes. I started hosting. I eventually became the host of the Brooklyn Nets after retiring my Nick City Dancer boots. And I've been with the Nets now seven seasons. Um, I went out talking. I went from talking one-on-one to people as we're doing right now, Rebecca, and to talking to 18,000 fans in real time, 41 
home games. That eventually led me to Peloton. I became an Adidas Global Ambassador. Peloton was looking for instructors. They reached out, never saw myself as an instructor. And it ultimately led me to be a part of such an incredible company um, and incredible team. And throughout this journey, it put me in a position where I became an entrepreneur that wasn't a part of my story when I started out. But I say you find your career one of two ways, either you've known since you were a kid or people tell you what you're good at. And I leaned into that. I leaned into those voices that I, that were trusted into what I was good at. And so I decided to start to share all the information that I had been frustrated with and my lack of resources because I wasn't in the best rooms to network and try to further my career. I decided to use all that as fuel and I created Love Squad and we do women empowerment events at low to no cost to make sure that information is available for all women, no matter where you are in your journey, making sure that we're diverse in race and culture and we're offering insight from experts such as yourself, Rebecca, on panels or one-on-one. And again, that was birthed out of a sheer lack of uh, resources and frustration of what it, of knowing what it feels like to want to do the most, but not knowing where to start and not having much, many resources uh, available to me. So that's kind of my overview of my story of how I got here. And, and again, my whole point is to say like at nine years old, I had that decision to live my life to the fullest and hell, I haven't stopped doing that yet. Thank God. <laughs> Holy shit. I just have to say, if you had accomplished like one or maybe two of those things, I'd be like, cool, very ambitious woman, but you are like a firecracker. And I think it's amazing. Like when you said that story about your mom, I, I got teary eyed because as a mother, I could never imagine giving my kid the option. And I think it's incredible that she sort of imbued that power within you to make the, make the call which I feel like is really rare for a parent to do. If anything, a parent would normally be like begging their child to stay alive, you know? Wow. So did you have to overcome pain physically from your hip in order to dance or you healed and then you were good? Yeah, it was, I went through physical therapy. I did, it was about a year before I started dancing. And this was like one of those things where it was like basically a summer camp my mom put me into because I, once I got out of the hospital, I was homeschooled. I had physical therapy every day. And so it was a rigorous kind of get back, uh, coming to Jesus moment where you're just like, oh, this is a lot of work. And so we were committed as a family to making sure that I was treated as much as I can- could. And my mom, you know, she would put me out back on a chair because I had a huge cast on for a lot of the recovery to make sure I got sun. She was like, you need vitamin D. We would, you know, study together. We'd read. So it definitely put stress on my mother's and our relationship at a young age, but it also put us in a great position to bond. And so my mom and has always had that. My mom and I have always had this friendship that was so strong. Like, obviously she's my mom and, you know, you listen to her and you rebel, you do all the things that kids do as you grow older and become an adult. But for the most part, I will say put us in a position where it's definitely a, a friendship above everything. And in terms of handling some of the physical stress and of recovery, she was there with me and she didn't let me give up and she kept pushing me and she kept motivating me. Um, my dad as well. It, it's just not a part of our kind of fabric of our family in terms of, you know, you met, once you make that decision and that's what she, that's why I know she's, I remember her saying this is like, if you make the decision to live, you got to fight and you got to fight like hell. Like this is not going to be easy, but once you make it, you have to go for it. And so I've, I've held that with me. Of If I decide, you know, I'm going to build a company, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to manage my expectations. I'm going to allow that structure plus strategy to equal success. And I'm going to go for it. 
Um, and so that, that, that is definitely something that was, that wasn't easy. Once I started dancing, I was fine. There was some complications. I ended up actually having another surgery. Once I went to a high school for performing arts, my, my freshman year, cause I knew I wanted to be a dancer. I had the plate taken out. So I had the plate take it put in at nine. And then around 13 years old, I had to open up that same scar. That's as huge on my leg and take the plate out and um, heal again. So it was a double process, but it was in pursuit to prevent that uh, arthritis and, and potential complications as I grew up. That sounds like uh, quite the pain, but you have persevered through so much. So I'd love like outside of your strong relationship with your parents, were there other sources for you that gave you this strength to just keep going? I had, you know, I think most of us, when we think of our stories and I don't want to speak for everyone who's listening, but if we take a second right now to say, who's that one person outside of our family um, that had a lasting impact or helped us, we usually can find that one teacher or mentor. And for me, it was, or even like second mom figure, um, for me, it was my dance teacher, Ruth Wiesen. And so again, understanding the story of how I came to New York and I didn't have much resources. Like my family, we weren't super well off, right? We were middle-class family. We worked hard. We saved as much and we did what we could. And my parents taught us those values of working hard. And so at that time when I was in high school and you position yourself to get into college, I needed additional training uh, to come to New York and get into some of the best schools. And so I remember my freshman year when I had gone on this hiatus to have surgery the school was like, well, your, your daughter's here for performing arts and she can't perform. So we're going to have to let her go. And my mom was like, absolutely not. She like had a full conversation with the dean. <laughs> the dean bought in and was like, okay, Alec can stay. I literally watched every dance class that you could ever imagine on the sidelines, took notes. And it was during this time that I met Ruth Wiesen and she was one of the teachers at New World School of the Arts, which is where I attended. And she was in charge of Thomas Armour Youth Ballet down South. And so once I got on my feet and I recovered, she invited me and she said, why don't you come for the summer on a scholarship and you come every day and we'll give you free ballet classes. You need more training. And I want to, you know, I want to invest in this. And till still to this day, Ruth Wiesen has always been that, I, I would say, saint in, in, in the flesh. <laughs> she has done that not only for me, for, but for many minorities, BIPOC, for many people, understanding that not everyone's financial circumstance is the same. She wants to make dance affordable and available to everyone, um, no matter where you live, who you are, what you look like. She understands the power of dance, the discipline, and how far it can take you. And so many of of um, colleagues that live in New York, that, that live around, honestly, the globe, have benefited from meeting Ruth Wiesen. And so I, I attribute a lot of that as uh, to her. She, she saw something in me. She gave me a chance. And once she gave me that chance, again, I, I went for it. And I never let her down. And I'm pretty proud to say she's pretty proud of me today. Like, I talk to her all the time. So she is my unsung hero in this story of, of investment and love. I love that. I feel like so many of the things you say parallel in a weird way. Some of my experiences with like, cause I was, I was determined to be a dancer when I was younger. Alvin Ailey was like where I was going to be. And so I didn't have a nurturing teacher. I had bean teachers, but I took that negativity and that meanness and that like these people treat you awful. And that fueled my fire in a sick way, I guess (laughs) to like, you know, say, screw you. I'm going to move to New York and dance. And then I think when I was 21, I had gotten into the Ailey program, the, the two-year certificate yeah. program. 
And I just was like, you know what? I'm never going to be good enough. Not, not from a, you know, like when you assess your body and like, can I do this? Can I do this physicality? Can I be good enough? And I was like, I think I'm going to become a designer. Um, but I have so much nostalgia for that time period and for dance in general. So when you said Ailey and Fordham, I was like, that's where I slept for two weeks. My friend would sneak me into his dorm room at Fordham yes. and I would go to class at Ailey. So who knows? Maybe we, maybe we took a class together. Maybe. I love it. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I would love to cut to your inspiration to start the Love Squad because it's not like you weren't busy enough. Mm-hmm. And you said, okay, I'm going to take on more. What made you want to start this community? Well, as I mentioned, like that frustration and that lack of resources was definitely the impetus. But in terms of, I, I know many of us have, you know, either we're entrepreneurs, we're building a business, we're in the midst of just scaling a business or we're in our full-time job and we have a side hustle, right? So many of us want to be entrepreneurs or just uh, just employees, if that if that's our thought. And with that, sometimes comes the little, I would say, voice that is dissenting around your mind that's just telling you you're not good enough. That little negative Nancy inside of you, no offense any Nancys that are listening, I love you back. That little <laughs> negative Nancy inside of you that's saying, you're not good enough. You know, your, your business isn't good enough. No one cares. No one wants this. And so most of us rely on some, some type of sign. And what I ended up doing was I decided instead of like trying to use all my money to go to all these events and be in every room and, and do the New York city thing, I was going to do the opposite. I was going to give away what I already had in that sense of like what I had learned about going to auditions, dancing with Beyonce, being, becoming a Nick city dancer, understanding what it looks like to be one a few black women in the room when you're auditioning, um, understanding how having those conversations around well-being and navigating that. Um, so I started this website, called it lovesquad.com. My last name is really love. And I, I, I put squad on the end because it wasn't a collective. It wasn't a, 
it wasn't a, a, a membership only or, or click or anything like that. It was a squad. You can come and go as you please. We are always available. Um, so I called it Love Squad and I wrote about those things of not pressing snooze, how to get up, how to get after it, how to accept no, how to negotiate, how to find the yes in there somewhere, um, how to find your outlet. These kind of things that I one, had no formal training on, but knew how to navigate because I was handling it myself every day. And I knew if I'm handling it, I'm pretty sure there are many of people in the world that are feeling the exact same way. And so I started this site and I started writing all of these uh, entries into my quote unquote blog at the time. And so it was around this time that Adidas reached out and they were, they had found my blogs. It was really crappy. And they thought the content on it was great. And they asked me to create some content for adidas.com. And so I responded, like, I think you might have the wrong person because I, one, I didn't go to school for journalism or writing. Like I had no, again, no formal skills. I graduated with a bachelor's in fine arts and minor in theology. So if you want to dance or talk about God and religion across the globe, I'm in. I'm not <laughs> but in terms of writing, I, again, it was just me writing how I spoke and being honest. And so they were making a transition in, in terms of their ambassador program. They had started this and they were looking for people who had no idea. And so I created some content for them and we continue with that relationship. They brought me on as one of eight uh, global ambassador women. So it was eye opening because a big, huge brand who I would never even guess saw something in me. And so I was talking to my friends and this was the real aha moment. So that was one validating moment. But then this is when I realized it was something that I was going to keep doing this for the rest of my life. Even if love squad turns into Tupperware parties and I'm like 80 years old, having them in my little house in the forest, I will still do it. Um, was this moment where I decided to create an event and anyone who was reading my, my blog, which wasn't many. And I only had this time had something around like 3000 followers on Instagram and so I said, you know what, anybody who's reading this and wants to meet me, come out, let's go ahead. I, I partnered with a, a space. I had some food um, that I'd partnered with another company, came out, we did a workout. I had a girlfriend of mine teach a workout because at this time I wasn't a Peloton instructor, um, but taught a workout. And then I hosted the conversation portion and I talked about how it feels to build a brand, a business, how I, you know, I build Love Squad. It's not much. And it was us, I, me and a friend, I released the, the Evite. And I opened the Evite and within 15 seconds, the 50 spots were sold out with a 75 person wait list. And now if any of you know what that means in New York City, we don't have the most space. So usually 50 people is like our max, 50 to 100, depending on the space. So for someone who had never done an event before, never hosted an event, didn't have any skill set in terms of running a business, that was a big deal. And so that was my aha moment when those people came out and it was over Rebecca, like, you know, I, you know how you've done many events. Cause I've been a part of them where it's like, okay, we're done. I don't have any money to pay for this to stay open later. Please leave kindly. But everyone stayed after to talk and connect. And was like, I love this information. And so for me, that was just like, okay, this is something that's needed no matter how small or how big I'm going to pursue it. And it's a part of who I am to share information, to share my network, to share findings, because the catalyst for change is conversation. Totally. Amen to that. Thank God. <laughs> Especially, I would say, even more, more importantly with what's happening right now. So obviously this episode is evergreen, but right now we're in the middle of what I finally feel is, and, and I want to hear your honest opinion, but like the first time that in a long time that there's momentum and, and so much change that's about to occur and that is occurring. And I would love to talk about that, you know, what's been happening and if you feel comfortable with it or just want to share from your perspective, like, I think 
you know, corporations are being called on to change, you know, companies are being asked to look inward, you know, a lot of white people are being called out for just not ever embracing whether it's, you know, not only black people, but black women in business. So I feel like it's that conversation is is starting and it's screaming in a good way. I'm just curious to, you know, with your experience, like what you're seeing. Absolutely. I think in terms of it being a big turning point where Black Lives Matter has been around for a few years and this is a turning point in the movement now that it's getting a, a, a greater recognition. And yep. it, it was unfortunate that it has to come off the backs of lives being taken, black men's lives and black women's lives being taken, but that is no new narrative to many black people. Correct. And so I think the fact that we're able to now, and I, again, I'm no scientist. I, I don't know exactly in terms of what caused what, but I understand the concept of being in a pandemic, shelter in place, being under stress of COVID-19, and then having all of the, being aware. And one of the things before this turning point that I was saying a lot about, Rebecca, was a lot of our consumers, members, our community are really in tune with the content they're creating, but most importantly, the content they're absorbing. The sense of awareness has increased. The sense of responsibility to content creators, the companies, has increased because the demand of those consumers, of those communities, have increased in in saying why and asking the question why or why not. And Mm -hmm. I think that we were in this position. And so, like I said, I call this a turning point for the Black Lives Matter movement for companies to actually say those words. Many people don't even feel comfortable saying those words and it's okay. There's no, we're, there's, there's no right or wrong. We don't always live in a binary society of good and bad or good and evil. Um, we live in a complex society, anti-racism, racism, it's complex, white supremacy, complex, um, white fragility, complex privilege, white privilege, complex BIPOC, understanding that as Black, Indigenous, people of color, that people of color are not Black, not all, only encompassing of Black people, you know? So understanding like the rhetoric and the, and the terms we use, just like as we have been in a, a space of learning around pronouns and understanding gender and gender fluidity and, and things like this. And so what I will say is in this movement, it has been for me as a Black woman, as a mixed woman, as a business holder, as a someone who's integral and, and very proud of the companies that I work with and the communities that I'm a part of, it has been emotional. And I don't want to say that woe is me, but the silver lining that I find is that we as a culture, as a, is be, are being responsible. We as a culture are being responsible for the fact that we are encouraging everyone to lean into resources and information. We're not asking anyone to be perfect. And by we, I mean you listening, any of us, no matter where you are, what you look like. The expectation isn't that we're all perfect or that we get it right every time or that we're quote unquote good. It's that we live in this complex city. We live and embrace complex. Our kids are complex. You know, they always, it's a a joke to say, not to equate such a radical movement, an oppression of of 400 years plus to this, but they say kids say the darndest things. Like it's incredible how kids can continue shocking adults even though nothing new is under the sun. So in that same vein of being shocked and aware and open of what's happening or what's going on, I think that that is the silver lining is that we are encouraging, we aren't saying silent, that companies, yes, like you said, look inward, that you're creating space and making sure that your leadership, your senior leadership, your company itself is diverse in BIPOC, that you're aware of what these acronyms mean, that you're aware of these conversations and no longer... 
should we look at these conversations of like, oh, well, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm a black woman. Therefore I shouldn't, it, no one's pinpointing anyone out as an individual. We're saying this is, this is systematic and that we all play a role. And if we all come from a great place, which we all are, you know, we all are coming from that place of willingness. I am very proud to be a part of now. And it's because people are leaning into the resources. They're leaning into information. They're reading, they're absorbing, they're diversifying their content uh, feed. They're, they're, they're diversifying their, their, um, their, their timeline. They're diversifying their podcast consumption by various different BIPOC authors or speakers. They're diversifying their bookshelves. Um, they're diversifying their movie or, or uh, Netflix list or fave wish list. Um, so I'm, I'm excited because I think that this turning point has affected us all. And it is a, it's uncomfortable. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say it's not. It's uncomfortable. I'm not an authority to talk about all of these things. But I know that my sense of awareness for self and for how my role in society, my responsibility as a public figure plays into understanding what is happening to people every day, including me as a black woman, including my fellow black family, including my non-black family. How are you feeling? And so again, I find, try to find the silver lining as we all go through this at the most moment to say that I, I'm, I'm excited that we think that this is not just a moment in time, but a movement to transition the times we live in to a new norm that's better for everyone. And it just comes by all of us investing, again, leaning into resources, reading, diversifying consumption, and knowing that that is a way to play your role. And that's, and that's okay. Like, that's great. I love that you say that because I feel like even if someone reads or watches one, consumes one piece of content, you're changed. It's eye-opening. Like, you can think that you are aware of what's happening. And, and then, you know, even as I began to educate myself, I was like, oh, fuck this is a lot deeper than something I ever imagined. And so I think anyone listening to avail themselves of these resources, it's, it's gold. You can't not change afterwards and you can't not think differently. I think that that's, what's important is like showing the different perspectives and not every time do we have to agree on everything. Right. But I think it's always important to make sure that your learnings are backed in foundational information and resources. And so that's why I've been just sharing information, not only around Black Lives Matter, but that's why for me, I do a series called The Basics of Talking Up or how to have, you know, difficult conversations at work, how to, um, when you say stand, you're, you're going to stand on the right side of right, how to check a friend if they say something that's, you know, not correct at that or incorrect at that time or, or, you know, um, can be framed in a better capacity. Like having those tough conversations is really important. And so that's why I think making sure that you're available to converse, to engage, and to be receptive of what's going on is, is, is effective. I'm excited about our generation. I'm excited about the next generation. The onus is on us. And, and we continue to create content that will truly inspire all people. Totally. And I read some comforting news today that by the time Gen Z is 30, so in like 10 years, white people will be the minority for the first time in the United States' history. And I was like, well, then, you know, this shit's going to accelerate real fast in a good way, you know, because I, I think there'll be a, just a lot more diverse voices to the mix, which I'm optimistic about for all things, not just yeah. Black Lives Matter, but equality for women, you know, like all these things that we've been trying to push along for for a long time. So that made me smile today. Yeah. So one thing I do like to ask, and you might have already said you said it um, at the end of every one of my episodes, is something we'd be surprised to know about you. 
something you'd be surprised to know about me. I'm not sure maybe if some people may know this, but I think the most shocking thing is because I am a fitness instructor and a fitness enthusiast and an expert in some of the wellness space, um, one of my favorite foods um, is donuts. Um, so donuts are my one of my favorite uh, foods to eat. And there was probably a time, and not now because we've kind of been still shelter in place a little bit, you know, quarantined a bit. I, there was a time that I'd probably had a donut every day for for like six months. Oh, yeah, love that. So I do love, <laughs> I love a good donut, and I love making pancakes. <laughs> like I'm, I'm the queen of like perfect pancakes. Like I can make like the perfect shape. I can make them as big. I, they won't break up. Like the perfect shade, everything. Like perfect pancake. We're gonna have a date at Peter Pan Donuts when this. Yes. Do you know about Peter Pan Donuts? I've heard. I haven't been. So oh, okay. Okay. Well, just know that like my friend introduced me to it right after I pushed my first baby out, and I had six donuts in one sitting, Ooh. and then it became a thing that every time I had another baby, she'd bring me a box. So I'm gonna take you there when this is all over because I too love a donut. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> and then lastly, any last words or pieces of advice either that you've gleaned from your experience or that someone gave to you that you'd want to pass on? Yeah. Um, it's, I didn't make it up, but making sure that you actually have your love squad, like who are the people that are going to be a part of your circle? Who are the people that you can call, not just to talk about, you know, having a bad day, although that's important, but also call for honest feedback around your product, around your company, um, people that are informed that, that you're able to also be that for them. That was Allie Love, the incredible, so inspirational founder of Love Squad, Peloton instructor, host extraordinaire, and the host of the New York Nets. For more information about Allie, you can follow her at Allie Love. 